Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? I'm doing good, Scott. I got to confess, I've spent maybe a little too, few too many hours trying to catch up on Peaky Blinders since the new season drops in the U.S. on Friday. So Okay. But I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> you know, we started, I started watching that and I couldn't get into it. Uh, I try, I gave it an episode or two. I think Amanda loves it, but what else is new? She, she's a, um, she's a, a big fan of the highfalutin arts. And I think that, uh, <laughs> that think finds Peaky Blinders is highfalutin arts. <laughs> <laughs> At least our household, maybe, I don't know. But regardless, speaking of highfalutin, We've got the James Webb of Supply Chain here with us oh, today. Back. Right. You guys, I forgot you're both telescope fans. That's right. <laughs> back by popular demand. We're going to be featuring a repeat guest that's doing big things across supply chain, Greg, especially helping shippers to make smarter, more sustainable decisions. Should be another great conversation, huh? Oh, unquestionably. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, I'm not going to say the name until you say the name. I, I often do that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was just with us about six weeks ago. So I'm looking forward to what's happened because doesn't it seem like things have changed pretty dramatically in six weeks? I, I tell you, I, I think we're just living it day in and day we out are not right now. in a freight recession. I will never forget those words from one of our guests. <laughs> well, folks, we want to hear from you too, though. Uh, we've got a great guest teed up. Uh, Caleb Nelson from Sifted will be here and we want to hear from you. We're going to be talking about three optimization strategies for shippers. And uh, of course, we're uh, just scratching uh, the tip of the iceberg there. But first, Greg, we're going to say hello to everybody here in just a minute, but we want to share a special event that's coming up in just a couple weeks, right? Yeah, I, get, I guess it's time for another NRF event, right? It is. And this one isn't the big show, which is legendary, of course. This is a new event for NRF, the NRF Supply Chain 360 coming up June 20th through the 21st, just around the corner in Cleveland, Ohio. Greg, this is going to be a good event. Yeah, we had John Gold on a week or so ago to talk about it. You know, this is the National Retail Federation, which really ought to be called the Global Retail Federation. It's by far the biggest and most influential organization. All their events are supreme quality. They're a industry and lobbying group for for retail here in the States. But every year they bring people from around the world to all of their events to talk about what's new and what is innovative in regard to retail. Agreed. And Caleb, who's going to be with us here, he's one of the, uh, they got a, they've assembled a great speakers uh, bureau of keynotes and Caleb being oh. one of those there. So you can meet him in person. He'll probably touch on that uh, in today's chat. So y'all check that out. We've dropped a link so you can explore Supply Chain 360 in the comments and hope to see you there. Okay, so Greg, let's say hello to a few folks before we bring on Caleb with Sifted, huh? Let's do that. Let's do let's it. Eric here. tuned yeah. in from Ecuador. Great to see you, Eric, via LinkedIn. Looking forward to hearing your take here today. Ada Demola is back with us. Hey, we have been missing you. Uh, great to have you yeah. back via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from as well, out of, out of Demola. Paul Green, Greg, is tuned in via LinkedIn. Look, hey, I Paul. like that tie, Paul. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, you don't see many people with a tie in their profile picture. You know, I just told my Strong mom. Move. <laughs> I just told mom the other day. Uh, she sent me a picture where I had a tie on, and she was asking where, where that was. I said, I don't know but I'm never putting on another tie in the rest of my life, thankfully. But hey, Paul, let us know where you're tuned in from via LinkedIn. Lucille is tuned in from Toronto via LinkedIn, the beautiful city of Toronto. I think the Blue Jays are playing pretty good baseball these days. Greg, happen to know? Um, no clue? I, I didn't even know the Braves had won seven in a row. So Seven in a row. That's right. How about that? Impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Rahul is with us via LinkedIn. Let us know, Rahul, where you are tuned in from. Looking forward to your perspective. Jiku is tuned in from Oman via LinkedIn. Wow, Wonderful. that's the first time I think we've seen Oman. That's cool. 
Welcome, welcome. Of course, D is hanging out. Uh, he might be in the green room. I don't know. Clay out there making things happen. Clay Diesel Phillips, of course, because the engine is always running. Kim Winter, the one and only Greg. Kim Winter is tuned in from London this time. You know, D- Dubai wow. is his home base of operations, and Kim yeah. is tuned in in London. Yeah, and so, he has been all over the place. Gosh, right? he sure has. That, that's a guy who was dying to hit the road for sure. <laughs> Kim, great to see you. Looking forward to your perspective here today. Usman, tuned in via LinkedIn. Let us know where you are tuned in from. Nasser from Tehran. Iran is tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to have you here today. Looking forward to hearing your perspective. Look at this. Don Luton, Don Terry Luton. That would be my dad, Greg, All is right. tuned in from hey, Cherry. <laughs> Cherry Grove Beach. Hey, it's good to have mom and dad be part of these conversations, huh? Cherry Grove Beach. Where is that? All right. So, dad, you, you have to, you're going to have oh. to let us know. Oh, you've not been invited. <laughs> right. All right. I've been to Cherry Grove Beach, but y'all check that out. Okay. And hello to everyone else. I know we can't hit everybody here today, but welcome in. We've got a great, great conversation. Okay. So, Greg, are we ready? We got to welcome in our VIP guests here today. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. North Myrtle, by the way, is where Ah, North Myrtle Beach. Gotcha. Okay. So with no further ado, I want to welcome in Caleb Nelson, Chief Growth Officer with Sifted. Hey, Caleb. How are we doing? Hey, Greg. I'm good. I can't believe you had me back. (laughs) We must have some dirt on you guys. I don't know. (laughs) We like seeing the traffic in in your reflection in your window. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The only only dirt we have, we put in our uh, Coca-Colas, Caleb, for our pre-show conversation. (laughs) So, and by the way, it's like Michael Scott. I love inside jokes. I hope to be part of one. one, one (laughs) I'll be part of one someday. (laughs) (laughs) So folks, y'all be on the lookout for these dirty sodas, which uh, we were talking pre-show is basically a Coke or something with cream or, or some other stuff in it. Right, Caleb? Yeah. I mean, it's like Starbucks, but for people who don't drink coffee and they want a soda option or a soda mix. Okay. But they're All popping right. up. It's big business now. It's popping up across the United States. And if you haven't seen a, they have different names for it, but if you haven't seen a swig or a soda delicious or a fizz or anything like that pop up in your neighborhood, it, it's coming. There's so been really? a lot of investment that's been made from private equity into going out and uh, grow that beverage market in various states around the U.S. Okay. So delicious. Yeah. So delicious. delicious. It's a great name. Anything that tastes like a melted ice cream, like root beer float or whatever. Yeah. I'm all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. My wife will take a sip and be like, it tastes like a melted snow cone. I'm like, I know it's awesome. Perfect. <laughs> Sign us up. Sign us up. But Hey, by the way, Caleb, we're going to, we're going to shift gears and start with a different beverage question, but we're going to get you a six pack of cheer wine, which is a legendary cola made in North started in North Carolina. I'm not sure where it's made now. And we're going to, we're going to bring you on to the cheer wine wagon with the rest of us. Does that sound good? Bring it on. Yep. I I drink enough soda to kill a cow. It feels like every day. (laughs) Okay. All right. So you learn something every day uh, about one Caleb Nelson, but Greg today is international dark and stormy day, which is new one for me. Evidently the dark and stormy is a, a, a drink which is made with Gosling's black seal rum and sparkling okay. ginger beer. So that's new for me, but uh, let us know out there who's a big fan of dark and stormies. So with that said, if it's not a dark and stormy, Caleb, what is your favorite beverage to relax with? Well, I, I think we touched on the fact that I love soda. I diet Mountain Dew. You put me on the front porch at my house and you give me a diet Mountain Dew or uh, how do you relax with Mountain Dew? It's right, part of like the original energy drink. I know I, you. You, you're, you're. I'm letting you in a little bit too much in my <laughs> my life and my. If you drink enough soda, the caffeine doesn't bother you as much, and so it. About there that. you go. Okay. Have I'll, you ever hey. said, Caleb? Have you ever said I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew? Have you ever? Said <laughs> <that>? <laughs> Maybe when I was twelve. Okay. <laughs> I had my first Mountain Dew. That's a that's a legendary line yeah. from a movie that I can't think of the name right now. Talladega, Talladega Nights. Ah, yeah. Talladega Nights. That's right. Okay. Hey, really quick, I'm gonna get Greg's beverage of choice, but first, Adamola is tuned in from Hull, and she says hello, Greg. Dad says just past Myrtle Beach, as you alluded to, that Cherry Grove Beach. 
Hey, we've got Charles Walker with us. Charles is a dynamo. Whoa. He says, hello, Scott, Greg, and Caleb. Hoo-ah. Yeah. Army strong. So, Charles, it's been Let's too long. It. Hope this finds you well. Okay. So, Greg, late on us, because I don't think it's a dark and stormy in your neck of the woods. What is your favorite beverage to relax with? So, interestingly, I was just reading about drinks called a buck. So, that is a buck drink. So, there used to be a drink, which I like, ginger, ale, and, and lemon, called a horse's neck. And in, I don't know, 1863 or something, some guy ordered a shot of whiskey to be put into it. And, and because it was called a horse's neck, it made the horse buck. So those are called bucks. So a Moscow mule is a buck. Hmm. Anything with ginger beer and or fruit drink in it and, and whiskey in it is called a buck. Now they're mostly called mules. But, <laughs> but all of that said, I'm going to go down the non-alcoholic route as well. I am a sucker for an Arnold Palmer. Yeah. Sweet tea. Yeah. You know, it's Agreed. funny. You go, you go to lunch with people and you order an Arnold Palmer and everybody assumes because it has a name that it's an alcoholic beverage. And they're like, you drink at lunch. And I'm like, I'll have two or three of these. Things. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, that's awesome. Yes. I'm not sure who this is. Amanda, let us know. Sometimes if you got a LinkedIn setting, we can't see your name. Soda optimization strategies first. Yes, we're covering our bases here today. I mean, it is supply chain. You've got to be a little jacked up. <laughs> that's yeah. right. And that is, oh, that's Miles. Hey, Miles, great to see you. It's been, it's been too long. Great to see you. And thank you, Lucille. She appreciates the history that Greg is laying out there. Good stuff. All right. So we're being prompted by Miles to get into uh, our, our center plate discussion here today. And again, we're going to be talking about three optimization strategies for shippers here in just a minute. But before we do, as Greg calculated it, and it's been six weeks since your last appearance, mm -hmm. but who's been counting? Caleb, what's been <laughs> what's been new with you and the Sifted team? Or are you and the fam? Or are you name it? What's, what's new? Well, uh, from a personal side, I'm, I, I love restoring cars and I started a new uh, car project that I'm, I'm working on and I'm focused on that. Some, uh, some, some nights that I can skip away and go to the shop, but it's a, uh, it's a 66 uh, C10 Chevy truck. So an old farm truck. Nice. And, uh, right. Short bed or long bed? This one's a long bed and okay. uh, I, I like the short beds, but the long bed, if it's done right, it looks amazing. And I'm really excited to kind of dive into that. I do that as a hobby, and so when I pick up a new project, I get stoked on it and try to finish a new car every uh, every year and then sell it. Okay. Wow. Man. So you're in Utah, so I'm stunned that you don't have the beard and, and you know, the stocking cap and everything, but at least you're going to drop this truck, right? I assume you're going <laughs> to drop it if you, if you build it in Utah. You know, I, I love I love lowered trucks or drop trucks. You put them on airbags, and they look really cool, but this one I'm going to go straight classic. So oh, okay. nice. when it's done. Well, maybe cool. ZZ Top can make an appearance and help you uh, move that sucker once you've got it remodeled. All right, so that's that's what Greg. That's what, that's what was coming to my mind as you were describing uh, imagery there. But Caleb, what's new from a sifted standpoint? Because y'all, the the beat goes on. Uh, oh man, what isn't some big things? What isn't new and what hasn't changed? And it feels like the wind has been sucked out of the sails as of late in transportation and supply chain. Uh, there's a lot of significant changes that are happening right now, specific on the freight mm -hmm. side. We're, we more kind of specialize on the final mile parcel delivery side. And uh, those have been more sheltered for sure. But man, there are some significant changes that are happening right now that um, I think both carriers and shippers are a little on unstable ground right now. And they're trying to figure things out as uh, as the year progresses. Yep. Well said. Well said. Uh, and we're going to dive right into that. We've got a question from Ashish here, though. So Ashish, welcome to the conversation via LinkedIn. Greg right now is in Hilton Head, where he is doing supply chain research on what's that index uh, number we're calling? Uh, yeah, right. It's the uh, supply chain now, waterborne backup, <laughs> global freight and container <laughs> backlog index. I like we're, that we, one. We're, we're trying to something find something short and catchy. That's right. <laughs> call it. But actually, there is actually a container ship waiting offshore. And yesterday mm. there were 19. Okay. Wow. Man, so, that's a big number for well, uh, there. Uh, I think we learned a, a week or so ago on another one of the shows where we mentioned the index that there's a lift down 
in the port of Savannah. So right. they're like a half or a third capacity. Yep. So of course, um, because everything was going so well, something had to break, right? <laughs> that's the nature. That That's what Caleb was talking to a second ago, right? Exactly. Um, as she's just to kind of round things out, Caleb is in uh, Northern Utah and I'm in uh, the Metro Atlanta area on the, uh, the East side. So uh, great question and great to have you here today. Look forward to your perspective. Okay. So Caleb, Miles is, is wanting us to get into the uh, the heavy lifting here today, and we want to pick your brain on three. You know, it, it's been for shippers. It's been an ongoing obstacle course, kind of what Greg was just alluding to, and you were alluding to earlier. Mm-hmm. The hits just keep on coming, but we want to tap into your knowledge and expertise, and some of the things you are doing at Sifted, and want to tap into three optimization strategies for shippers to help them out here today. So, if your game. Let's dive into the first one. What's what's the first one on your mind? Yeah, I, I think there's been a lot of conversations that we've seen and had with shippers that are saying, look, we're seeing a lot of changes happen within our relationships with our partner carriers. We're seeing a lot of volume discrepancies, volume going up and going down. But one thing that is super constant is what their customers expect when they order product from their website. That is a constant. That is not changing. And that demand and pressure has been I would say greater than it is. Uh, and then you lay that on top of some of the ups and downs that the carriers are facing right now. And to deliver a solid customer experience from when they order product on your website to when it gets to their door is, I would say, more challenging as time has gone on. But uh, that is an absolute constant that shippers are completely, I would say, engulfed in, in trying to be able to do. So I I think strategy number one that we're really focused on is to help improve where shippers are shipping from so they can be able to optimize and shorten that distance from point A to point B. I think that's extremely helpful. Gone are the days, I think, where FedEx and UPS handle 100% of a client or a shipper's business. And shippers, if you are a shipper, you're listening to this and you've got everything loaded in one basket, all your eggs in one basket with FedEx or all your eggs with UPS, you need to be analyzing to determine, is there a better option for me to be able to diversify and move away from putting all my eggs in one basket? Mm-hmm. So so that first one is, is optimizing those distribution center locations amongst other sites uh, as part of your transportation logistics footprint. And, and really quick, Greg, I'm going to get your take on it here in just a second. But folks that are listening, they're tuned in. We'd love to hear your take. You know, give us your take on what Caleb uh, is sharing through these three uh, strategies or let us know what you're seeing out there. All right. So, Greg, uh, optimizing that footprint is where we're starting. Your, your thoughts. Well, it's funny. We just talked to Sweetwater yesterday, Phil, their chief supply chain officer yesterday, and they're adding a facility in, in Glendale, Arizona, because the crosses too many zones to to ship to the West mm-hmm. Coast from where they are now. So I think a lot of companies have been doing that. And of course, of course, as as e-commerce boomed during the pandemic, a lot of companies spread out their distribution and fulfillment network. And there are a lot of ways to do it. I mean, you can build your own. There are all kinds of, of services out there with where you can get fractional space in distribution centers, 3PLs, et cetera, et cetera. There's all kinds of ways to do it. But look, I mean, let's face it. Amazon made it standard two-day delivery. So you've got to be very close to that, if not right on it, mm. right? And because now we, the consumer, having realized that it's possible, as Caleb, you were saying, now we demand it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things that you can't put the genie back in the bottle in some way. Right. It's once it's out and people experience it. It's kind of like when you travel first class. Yeah, um, It's very rare that I travel first class, but when you do, <laughs> it's like, I don't want to go back to coach. Are you serious? Right. <laughs> but, Are you going to uh, keep them down on the farm now that they've seen Perry, right? <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things that I, I think um, shippers need to be looking at their, Greg, you nailed it. They need to be looking at their top zones. So when, when you look at your um, distribution and where your customers are located throughout the U.S., and if you're using FedEx or UPS or regional carriers, they price based off of zone. And zone is basically distance from point A to point B, and it's a different price for different zones. If you're shipping a lot and very heavy in zones 5, 6, 7, and 8, you are shipping longer distances across the country, 
meaning longer times in transit. You're paying the most that you're going to pay for the carrier services. Right. And you have more uh, chances in my mind of that freight getting damaged because it's handled more by the carriers. Yeah, if right. you can shorten that distance from point A to point B and lower the zone to a zone two or a zone three, that's the golden ticket. We have a lot of customers. I was talking to one just um, last week who said, we have a mandate to ship to 98% of the U.S. population within two days in a ground network mm. within FedEx or UPS. How mm -hmm. do we do that? And that's a giant math problem to solve, but it's solvable. And once you solve it, that's a bulletproof network that you've just built for your organization. It's, right. it's pretty amazing. So, and that that's a nice segue to uh, the second uh, strategy, I believe, but really quick, Jose, great to see you here today. Speaking of new facilities, they've expanded and added DCs in Houston and Savannah. How cool yeah. is that? Congratulations, Jose, who hails from Southern California. Great to see you here, my um, friend. Okay. So what you're just saying there is kind of back to the three number one factors so often, and at least in real estate, right? Location, location, yeah. location. So what's number two on our list of optimization strategies for shippers? Location doesn't mean boo if you don't have the right product in the right location. Right. Nice. I like so that. A lot of shippers will have and spend good time building a bulletproof network where they're, they, they say, yeah, I've got five locations I can cover 98% of the United States in a two day network or in two days on ground. But if you have the wrong SKUs housed in the wrong locations in those five different DCs, let's say you're cross country shipping because you just don't have the right inventory. Inventory management, I think is key and often overlooked. I, I would say it's, it's probably one of the harder problems to solve to determine what products you need to keep from which parts of the U S but it's what data is. I mean, you, you need to analyze that data to look for what has been historically done and where customers are historically buying certain SKUs from and then fill that inventory in those right locations. Mm -hmm. Easier said than done, but when it's, it's really a 50-50 thing. You, you got to have the right network and the right locations to ship from. You got to have the right product in those locations to ship from as well. They go hand in hand. All right. So, uh, Greg, I want to get your take here. But first, what is the value of boo in this inflated, inflation driven economy these days? <laughs> and it, what the boo has gone up quite a bit. Hasn't it's it? gone up. Yeah. All right. So, I love, I love that's a teacherism there. Caleb said that your the, the location doesn't matter, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mean boo if you don't have the right product there. All right. So, Greg, your take on number two here. Well, even let me just tell you that even 16% of zero is still zero. So, right. we, we we, the math is working for us on Boo. Look, I, I mean, I've made a career of of doing exactly what Caleb's talking about. I mean, one of the first products I built was called SKU Optimization mm -hmm. for a company that distributed goods all around the country. And we we realized that because of the zone situation that, Caleb, you talked about, that we could either ship it all from Indianapolis all around the country or or we could we could position it in Dallas or Reno or, mm -hmm. or LA or whatever to get it to those. But we had to understand what the demand or the demand potential was in those areas. And that's the math problem Caleb is, is referring to is especially with new items or new to those marketplace items, um, or even just new to you as a shipper items, you have to understand the demand in order to, to determine what should go there. It's not easy, but it can be done. You can use related items. There's all kinds of ways to do it, um, but it's absolutely critical because it doesn't yeah. matter if you have every single item, if every single item you have in a particular location is are ones that nobody wants. And that literally happens. I mean, it, it has happened that companies have equally distributed winter coats to Florida as they have to Wisconsin. So right. um, you have to be really, really smart about it. Well, you know, with these uh, the rise of the micro fulfillment centers, right, mm -hmm. especially near urban centers, that's yeah. been driven by uh, really advanced predictive analytics uh, in terms of what product to stage in those areas. So, Caleb, uh, your last comment here before we move to number three. Um, that it's easier than you think it is. The math problem is still math. It's still a challenge. But oftentimes I talk to shippers and they say, OK, so if I need to ship from a new location, 
That means I have to replicate everything I have at my location right here and do a whole new brick and mortar location somewhere else, employ it, buy the land, build the building, put in employees, put in management, all. No, probably 15 years ago. Absolutely. But the amount of money that has been dumped into 3PL fulfillment, warehousing, micro warehousing space from right. uh, private equity firms, VC capital firms is astounding. It allows you as a shipper to be able to turn on and off certain locations that you want to ship your product from, like a spigot. If you wanted to be able to ship into the Northeast for a temporary period of time and then pull that back, you can absolutely do that without needing to build a brick and mortar location and figure out employee costs and tax issues and all of that stuff. And there is enough competition to drive pricing down on pick pack storage and shipping fees that it makes it a very lucrative option. And look, I think if you are a FedEx or a UPS shipper and you're looking at the difference between a, a cross country move and a local move, that difference, de depending upon the size of what your product is and the weight of it can be a substantial difference. Mm. Even if it's $14 per package in, in savings, that is a massive cost savings that you could negotiate with FedEx and UPS till you're blue in the face. They will never move your contract down that low. And what we're talking about is optimization on you. Right. And I think that ultimately means that you're a better partner for FedEx and UPS, which are optimization organizations. Right. They thrive on efficiency. And they want clients who are as efficient as possible because that brings up their profitability. It's more efficient attractive business. Yep. Equals yep. profitability for them. So if you can look at that in those ways, it, it is a true triple win. It's a win for you. It's a win for your client. It's a win for the carrier. Excellent point there. As we Before we move into uh, the number three here, being a smart shipper, being a good partner, you know, you're going to have a lot more options. And uh, one of the things you said here throughout, Caleb, is you know if you put all your eggs in a single basket, you're really you're you're taking on more risk than uh, perhaps you should. So um, back to the kind of the right product, right location. Jose says a heat map helps a lot. Yep. And Caleb, you seem to agree with Jose there. Yeah, Jose nailed it. Yeah, the visualization on the distribution side really helps out, and to be able to organize it by zone in a visual setting on like a geospatial map, that's that's money right there. Money, money. The production team's calling out your one of your T-shirt-isms. Location doesn't mean boo if you don't have the right product in the right location. I love that. Ashish, I'm not sure which he was uh, basically he was saying we're in the same boat, but he says the same container. <laughs> I love that little twist on that. So thank you. And Ashish also has a question for you, Caleb. You were referencing the different zones earlier. He's oh. asking, what do you mean by zone five, six, and seven? So if you look at your, your pricing agreement with FedEx or UPS or a regional or, you know, a, a parcel carrier, they've split out the United States based off of zones. So if you're shipping from Utah, where I'm at, to North Carolina, they measure the distance between point A to point B, and they determine what zone it belongs in. Hmm. And that zone has a specific price associated to it. And then it determines it's based off of your weight. It's a kind of a intentionally complicated algorithm that they put in place. Well said. Yeah. Yep. We kind of joke. It is. It's decipherable and it's in the data and it's there, but it really understanding your zones and your distribution by zone is the key that unlocks the door that allows you to be able to get additional cost savings. Yep. So you're talking about deciphering a moment ago and you mentioned the word spigot, spigot, which I thought was more of a, like a, a, a Southern term or Southeastern term. But whenever I hear that, my family took a car trip from South Carolina to Texas way back in the day mm -hmm. in the eighties. And I think, I'm not sure what my dad needed. I think he needed to fill up the radiator or something, but he stopped in Texas at a gas station and said, Hey, do you, do you have a, a spigot? And they looked at him like he had, you know, three eyes. Uh, they didn't had no had never heard of that term before. So uh, a water faucet. Oh yeah, yeah, right around the corner, right around the corner. Yeah. Uh, but Caleb, yeah, that's what in that part of the country, that's where you drink your water is out of the spigot. <laughs> right, yeah, I, right? I grew up in Texas, and that's where I learned the phrase from. So it's yeah. a yeah. maybe yeah. we picked the wrong gas station. Who knows? Let's see here. Here's Michael says uh, market area is what trucking uses instead of zones. I, um, does that sound about right? 
Uh, and Michael, please expand on that a little bit more. But great to have you here, uh, Michael. Always enjoy your your contributions. Okay, you have to think of zones as kind of concentric circles around wherever you're shipping from. Let's just say, right? Zone one is the closest, then zone two, three, four. So, you know, it the cost is higher because the trans, you know, longer uh, transportation. Yeah, just to, longer just run. Point A to point B. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so all of that brings us to our third optimization strategy for the shippers out there. And Caleb, what is that going to be? That's really, I, I would say, going back to that comment of not having all your eggs in one basket, the amount of opportunity that's out there for a shipper to diversify their shipments away from primary carriers and giving them to regional carriers. And I'll give you, I'll give you an example of this. If you're in California and you ship a package, let's say to Utah, you have California, Nevada, Utah, those three states together. If you use FedEx for that service, and let's say you pick a two-day option, you would think that it just simply travels from California to Nevada to Utah, and it's delivered within two days. Because it's a national carrier, what happens? If you go in and track that shipment, they put that on, on a plane, they fly it all the way to Memphis, Tennessee, it gets sorted in their sort facility, get put on another plane, flown all the way back across country to Utah and out for delivery from Utah. Number one, that's not very efficient. Number two, that's not very sustainable. And I, I would say the option that, that shippers have to use regional carriers is definitely, I would say, one of the biggest areas of growth that I'm seeing in final mile delivery, people that, pit, that ship parcel. Options to use carriers like OnTrack, LaserShip, Lone Star. There are plenty of, uh, of other parcel options that are out there that if you can identify these shipments that typically go in this regional area of the United States, I won't give that to FedEx or UPS. I'm going to give that to a regional carrier. And if that same shipment that we were talking about left from California, you get that to OnTrack, they ship it from California, goes trucking over Nevada to Utah, and it's typically delivered within a one-day business point from there. So you get better service for lower money mm. or less money, and it's more sustainable. Yeah. Uh, you're keeping it in a regional area. And that sustainability, I think it's often overlooked. A lot of shippers think, I'm just trying to get packages out my door. Right. Now you want to talk to me about being green? Sustainability and shipping go hand in hand. Right. That if you make a move in sustainability, it's going to come in the form of cost reduction. It's one of the mm. very rare industries that will actually do that. Mm. Packaging is a little different going green. You typically pay a little bit more for better packaging or more sustainable packaging. But if you're looking at it from a network optimization standpoint, it is a one for one in cost reduction. It pays to eliminate those empty miles or at least significantly reduce them. Uh, well said there, Caleb. Greg, get you to weigh in here on carrier network analysis. Yeah, well, I mean, again, great example the big carriers, and, and they were diversified. USPS, UPS, and FedEx all failed Amazon in mm -hmm. 2014. And by 2017, they had hundreds of their own fulfillment facilities and trucks and, and working on things like planes and ships as well. So if it's good enough for you know the biggest retailer, biggest online retailer in the world, soon to be the biggest retailer in the world, then it's it's good enough for the rest of us. And, and I think a lot of these regional carriers, they simply exist because there's such great gaps in all of those carriers, USPS, UPS, FedEx, and now Amazon, even they have gaps in hmm. their coverage and leave opportunities for these regional carriers, deliver, bring, you know, numbers, hundreds, maybe thousands. I don't know, Caleb, you probably have a better handle on it. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's been really interesting. Is don't, oh, go ahead, Caleb. I, I was just going to say, it's really interesting to see the growth kind of explode in that in that area. And it shows that the demand is there, that shippers are sick of being in a duopoly that acts as a monopoly, mm. which is FedEx and UPS as primary, right. primary options. They're great. Uh, honestly, I, uh, they, they are needed. They are great options for shippers to be able to use. You need to use FedEx and UPS to ship nationwide if you're a parcel shipper of, of any type of size. However they themselves also do not want every piece of your business or every piece of right. freight. They used to. Carol has been very clear about that at UPS, right? Absolutely. Let them eat cake. 
Yep. Carol is <laughs> saying uh, better, not bigger, which means right. don't give me all your freight. Give me only the freight that I am really good at moving, mm. which means as a shipper, the, the trick is how can I peel a certain percentage of my freight away from FedEx or UPS and give it to a regional carrier without decimating my FedEx contract or my UPS contract that I need today because that's based off of volumes. And which shipment should I give that is a better fit for a, a regional carrier? Yeah. If you can do those three things that we talked about, like network optimization, and then being able to do inventory management right, as well as kind of diversify your carrier mix, it's not it's not something that can be done in 30 minutes, but if you can do that, your costs absolutely get within order and you bulletproof your network. It's pretty, it's a pretty amazing combination of three things you can do. Bulletproofing your network. Uh, the professor James Webb is giving a shipping masterclass here, <laughs> uh, Greg, by the way, uh, she says that thanks Kayla for explaining zone. Uh, we've got our friend, Dr. Rhonda's back with us, Rhonda. Hope this finds you well. Meeting the meeting. Hey, we get it. Uh, great to have you here. Ashish also says, most engaged listener right here. Ashish, that's going to be a, a new new uh, bullet point to add to your, your profile. I think location also matters to make fast delivery. Of course, right product is comparatively more important. And hey, Cargo Margo. Hey, hope this finds you well, Margo. Great to have you here. Love the nickname. Inventory management is big. Great tips. I agree. I think these are, uh, and Greg, I'd love to get your comment here. I love I noticed that in our first Caleb's first appearance with us, practical, been there, done that perspective and not theoretical. This is going to the brass tacks of, of how you can become a much more smarter, but also more sustainable shipper. Greg, your thoughts. I love the, well, first of all, yeah, to go back to the sustainability, I love the fact that it aligns. I mean, mm -hmm. fewer zones, shorter trips, less fuel, less smoke, less carbon. I mean, you're almost an accidental environmentalist just by doing, just by mm. Positioning your product smart, smartly, right? Yeah. Smartly, wisely, <laughs> <It works>. um, <laughs> prudently. Um, You're not asking me for uh, English yeah, tips, I mean, are I you, Greg? I think, <laughs> well, I think that we have to recognize that as we have talked about for years, Scott, that the choices made by the big carriers have begotten this, this complex regional short haul parcel network. And they won't always have... I mean, even the big ones will not always have the liberty to dump clients and, and cherry pick the most profitable routes and that sort of thing. But these companies will hone their craft in their regions and they will figure out a way to make it economical to, to deliver, which to me, by the way, whether e-commerce can be economical enough is still a, an open question in my mind for, for yes. certain products, especially. Yeah. because of the gotchas of shipping, right? Mm -hmm. The accessorials and all that other stuff that you just, that shippers don't know about until the bill hits. And yeah. by that time, the goods have already been delivered at the, at the promised cost. So it's yeah. probably weeks later at that point. Yeah, it, yeah I was, exactly. I was we talk about that all the time, Caleb. And it's, I mean, understanding that agreement, right? That carrier agreement is absolutely critical so that you know what the potential risks are whenever you're, you're shipping something that's exceptionally large or goes to a tough address or whatever. Um, I think it, you know, organizations like yours that help surface that ahead of time preemptively yeah. rather than after the fact, that's hugely beneficial to, to yeah. companies and it so, helps them to make those decisions. Do I stay with yeah. the big two or three or do I use a regional carrier? Yeah. What, what's amazing is it, it's not uncommon for a shipper after running this kind of an analysis to realize, I'm not going to, I'm dropping SKUs. Like I'm going to drop some product because some of the product actually costs me money to ship and deliver for what I, what I sell it for, for what the actual cost is at the end of the day. And Greg, yeah. you're totally right. If, if it's oversized, if it's larger, high cube, whatever it is, or harder to ship to in the, in the part of the United States, that doesn't necessarily just a road margin. It can completely upside down it. Yeah, to a point where you right. are losing money on certain shipments. And a lot of shippers don't realize that because they can't, there's not an easy way to totally match up what my total cost is per SKU mm. across the board, landed all the way to the client store. So 
man, I feel like I'm again. Is there going to be a quiz at the end of this live stream, Caleb? Uh, keeping us on our toes. This is a lot of good stuff, and we're getting. Well, I know comments. you're taking 17 pages of notes, Scott. So, <laughs> you should be good. so I'm going to show up with a professor hat on next time. That would be awesome. <laughs> hey, Paul agrees with me. He says this is a great discussion. Caleb, though, he's got a question for you. Can you talk about some of the key inputs you think about when determining where a shipper should put their next distribution center? Demand, potential demand. What would you add to that list, uh, Caleb? So I, I think it goes back to understanding where your current status is right now. If you need to know based upon what your distribution network is based off of zones that we talked about, if that's even an option for you, some shippers are already regional from kind of their, the nature of their business, zone two, zone three, zone four, and they're set and they don't even need to worry about this. But if you're an e-commerce shipper and you're shipping across country, if you notice that you've got a lot of customers in other parts of the US that you're shipping heavy to, running the analysis on top zones, and then your average cost per zone, I think is really important to know. Mm. So if you, if, you, if you think of categorizing the shipments based upon location, heat map that was mentioned earlier, and then look at your average cost per zone to help determine, okay, is it even option, is, is it an option for me to even go down this path and let the data tell you and be, I, I would say, be your guide in that process. Yep. And then demand forecast, I think is really huge. We talk about the James Webb telescope and all of that. And I think it's unbelievable, but what it's doing, if I relate that to shipping for just a second and how you can solve some of this problem using the James Webb kind of idea, the James <laughs> Webb telescope is looking at old light. It's, a, right. it's basically a time machine it's looking back in time and it's making... Uh, assumptions or images from that from that data. You need to be doing the exact same thing by looking at your historical data within shipping and being the James Webb in shipping to look back at that to say, this is what's historically been gone on over the last six months, 12 months. This is how it's trending. I'm shipping a lot more to this part of the United States. And if that keeps going, then I need to be able to address that. A lot has to do with your historical data. And we, we get questions asked a lot by, well, what kind of data? It's your invoice data from your carriers. And if you can absorb six months or 12 months of your invoice data, analyze it, determine what you need to be able to do and how to do it, that is your guide to determining what your go forward action should be for the rest of this year and 2023. Okay. All right. But Greg, I know you're thinking of your standard disclaimer that you always say when, when looking back, I'll let you say it, let you share it. Well, past yeah, I mean, performance is no past performance is no indication of future value, but you know, in this case, in some cases you're kind of stuck with it, right? right? What you have to do uh, to augment that, that analysis is you have to look at, and Caleb, you alluded to this, you have to look at the, continuation of that. Does that really reflect what we expect to happen in the future? And what do we want to do about it? Right. But you do have to have some indication of what the future is because especially right now, I mean, right. especially, yeah. and I don't know if everyone, if, if anyone's read the commentary I put out on target yesterday, mm -hmm. you can really get trapped in the past, mm. right? What, what the, what the web, telescope is doing is capturing history. It's not projecting the future based on that history. And it, but it could, right? Because, because it is much that type of history, that type of light refraction, whatever yeah. is much more indicative of what's coming in the future, because there are no fickle humans between the web <laughs> telescope and those stars, right? Well, yeah, I want to jump in here. This is the, this is the thing we have to plan for is how do we use what we know about the past and how do we convert that into knowledge of, of not our products, but our consumers for the future? And that's where a lot of times in supply chain, we get caught. We get caught right. because we do things like forecast items when really items don't do anything. Toilet paper did not jump into people's shopping carts during the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. <laughs> right? People pulled it screaming and yelling down mm. off of the shelves and stuffed it overstuffed it into carts. We have to predict whether shoppers will do that. And whatever we're shipping to those those out, outward zones, we have to understand whether the, our consumers 
will continue to buy that product in that measure, or maybe even greater measure. So there's all kinds of other analysis you have to do, but you have to start somewhere and you have to believe, you have to use that data to believe that I have future business in this part of the country and therefore I need to land something there. So clearly that's me, what Sweetwater's done with their newest facility. Man, I'm itching to get a word in here. It's you mentioned the James Webb compare uh, analogy there, Caleb, and it's such a good one. It's so spot on. But also to, to the point Greg just one of the points Greg just made there and the point you're making, Caleb, you know, we don't have the technology right now to go five billion light years and to see these things firsthand. Yeah. We're relying on living history that the tele mm -hmm. telescope is uh is pulling. And folks, in case this is on your radar, no pun intended, July 12th is when we expect to see the first real images from the earliest research that the James Webb telescope is gonna bring to us. Okay, so, and as as Greg pointed out, me and Caleb, Caleb, I'm looping you in, big old space nerds, big old I was say, This conversation's turned really nerdy, guys. <laughs> All, right. All right, so let's let's share a couple quick comments. <laughs> and then Caleb, you've got a couple resources that you and the yep. SIPTA team have, I think our folks are gonna find valuable. T-squared says, thanks for bringing more clarity to a topic that too many people in industry, C-suites, are running from sustainability, <laughs> in supply chain management. Excellent point there. Uh, Margo was talking about the linear foot rule earlier, way back earlier, a couple light years ago. Big Show Bob Bova is with us here. And let me see if I can't read this comment. I want and to how old is that picture of Bob? <laughs> so, uh, is that even Bob? <laughs> <laughs> so Big Show Bob Bova says, shipping is the fastest growing application for voice, voice automation. Companies are getting product off the line. WMS is integrating all kinds of factors, best, fattest, fastest, most economical. Then we communicate to the person taking the product or even in robotic sortation. It's a huge opportunity there, as Bob points out. It's a good point there. And Bob, hope this finds you well, man. It's been too long. Let's see here. Mark Cargo Margo says, forecasting accuracy is important, but it's ever-changing. Loving the conversation. Paul finds your tips uh, very helpful on where to locate distribution center. Bob says a picture came from college. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and finally, Dr. Rhonda says past, present, and future behaviors, always interesting to explore. We can often see some patterns of behavior from the data to help find some helpful to find some helpful solutions that are related to forecasting. Great discussion. Yeah, I would I would say Dr. Rhonda nailed it on that one. I think it's looking for patterns, looking for patterns and trends. Yep. Um, it won't be 100% a prediction for what is to come, but you sure can learn a lot from pain that you've been experiencing and you might not even have known. Mm. Well, if you're nowhere, Caleb, right? If you're not in the market, knowing that just knowing that there's enough demand that you ought to put yourself in the market is sufficient, right? Yep. Then you, you have to be there then to tune it to how much of what goods you ought to put in a fulfillment center. Yep. But first you have to get there. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> got to get there. Hey, uh, we're not going to have time to get into a couple of great questions here, but I want to put them on your radar, Caleb, and maybe you and the team can connect with uh, Julia after the fact, asking about diversification of the supplier network. And Paul with a follow-up question around the power of visualization of data, which that's both of those one. are great questions. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully you can connect with them. Uh, before we make sure folks know how to connect with you, Caleb Nelson, let's, there's a couple of resources that we want to make sure folks have. And our production team is going to drop these links. Ebooks, ebooks, 187 pages. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, this is <laughs> your afternoon. <laughs> right. The first ebook that you have brought to today's conversation is around future proofing your network. Future proofing might be something completely different, but future proofing your network, which Caleb touched on on the front end of our conversation. So that is available for free to download. And then the second one, Caleb, I want to ask you about this is a new ebook from the SIFTA team or one of your newest ones. It focuses on cold chain shipping. Yeah. So tell us more about what's in this ebook. Uh, yeah, I, th I think it's top of mind for a lot of shippers come some of the hottest months. Uh, you've got more product that sits in open air warehouses that are not type climate controlled, typically. And if you're uh, shipping any SKUs or products that really start to damage after, you know, 120 degrees, shipping it within uh, a, a proper enclosed package or temperature controlled package, I think is really important for the integrity of the product. 
it, I don't necessarily mean just food related items. There are plenty of other SKUs or products out there that should not or cannot exceed a specific temperature. So I, we, we provide some really interesting uh, resources in that ebook that allow for shippers to be able to understand how they can better protect their shipments during summer months. That's right. Get smarter, get more sustainable, be a good shipper, be a good customer. All those things you've touched on here today. All right. So, Greg, before we uh, make sure folks know how to connect with Caleb, I want to get your take while Caleb is still with us. What do you think, you know, for all the things we've talked about here today? And Big Show Bob Bova makes a great point. Digitization is necessary all the way to the customer. All the shipping data needs to uh, be looked at, processed, and analyzed to look for those patterns. I completely agree. It's a huge opportunity for so many people. But, Greg, out of all that Caleb has shared, including those two uh, great ebooks, the cold chain industry is a fascinating one for sure these last few years. What's one key thing, Greg, that folks got to take away from this conversation with Caleb Nelson? I think the important thing to recognize is that there are solutions out there for mid-sized shippers, right? For anyone from an Amazon seller, you know, all the way to, you know, whatever, the honest company. Com you know, companies like that. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't require Amazon and it doesn't require, you know, data scientists necessarily. There's technology out there that can do that. And, you know, what Sifted has, has a lot of that ability to kind of pull all that together for you, give you that starting point, give you those decision points, give you some guidance into what your next stage is. So many companies, I mean, you know, I have wondered why why with people still working and making money, are there so many jobs unfulfilled? And it's because so many people have started business and businesses and so many of those businesses are product businesses. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the number of sellers on Etsy and Amazon have just simply exploded. And all of those people need a way to get those goods there. And they probably, much like their predecessors, other brands, they have no idea mm. how to do it. So tips like this, um, the ability to understand the dynamics of the marketplace and how you can play in it. Are, that's, it's, that's what's so critical here is you can do it. There are resources out there. Take advantage of these ones, especially that we're talking about. Yep. And look, think about it this way. Even Amazon started without a network, mm -hmm. right? Without a big supply chain. Well, and it's, it's pretty easy to get into the sandbox with the SIFT team, I imagine, Caleb. Uh, and one of the ways... We want to make sure folks want to connect with you. I think one of the things, of course, you're going to be speaking at uh, Supply Chain 360, powered by our friends over at NRF. Looking forward to that, Caleb. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it should, it's, it's going to be a great event. Um, and you know what I've heard from and, and gotten from the the folks at NRF is it's just a top notch crew. So looking forward to, to going out there and and uh, sharing some of these resources of what we're talking about here. If anybody uh, that's listening is is going to be there, come meet me. I'd yep. be happy to, to shake your hand, chat with you a little bit about uh, what business you've got and improvements you're looking to make uh, as the year progresses. So, Caleb, are you going to be driving that long bed pick em up truck to Cleveland from northern Utah? <laughs> Hey, that would be that would be pretty amazing. I'd, I'd see you in probably three weeks after the show. <laughs> yeah, I doubt well, you're going to be at the proper stage. Yeah, right. I'd show up a different man. That's for sure. <laughs> well, hey, kidding aside, that's uh, one of the one of the ways you can connect with Caleb is at Supply Chain 360, where you can meet him in the uh, flesh. And Grayson, Grayson, appreciate all your great work. He he is making it easy. A Sifted's going to be presenting at 11:15 a.m. on Tuesday at the event. So thank you for that, Grayson. Good stuff there. All right. So Caleb, beyond that event, where how else would you invite folks to connect with you? Check us out on our website, sifted.com. There's no no wonder our name is Sifted. Our job is to sift through data. We have pre-built models that you can simply plug your invoice data into and it spits out exactly what we've talked about. So what we've talked about is definitely doable on your own. It, it, we, we, you know, there's a question about visualization of data. You can definitely bring that in. But to Greg's point, this has usually been tactics and resources that have been designated to large enterprise shippers that are out there. But that doesn't mean if you're a mid-sized shipper or in the SMB market, you shouldn't be taking advantage of this. Absolutely, right. you should. You just need better technology that does it for you in a turnkey way. Sifted does that. You can absolutely do it on your own, but the resources are a little bit more cumbersome to be able to do. 
check us out if you have any questions and you can ping me at LinkedIn as well. Um, my profile's there and I, I love interacting with shippers and helping them kind of identify ways that they can be the best version of themselves. Love it. Uh, power to the people. Uh, power to the people. Love that. That's right. Regardless of how big or small your business is. All right. So Caleb Nelson, always enjoyed his conversations. Uh, got a lot of feedback here. I love the practical approach to helping shippers that, that clearly is in your DNA. I hope maybe to meet you in person in Cleveland. But if not, of course, we'll have to have you back and, and catch up on all things supply chain, including the James Webb Telescope. So Caleb, Thanks so much uh, for joining us here today, and we will see you very soon. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Uh, Caleb Full Nelson, Chief Growth Officer. Full Nelson. All right. Yeah, I was thinking, was it a Full How Nelson many names or half are you Nelson? Give him? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me. His last name reminds me of, of my old days watching wrestling in the eighties. Right? Uh, there was a half Nelson and a Full Nelson. I think were amongst. Uh, That's right. The pile drivers and uh, many, many other wrestling moves. But Greg, you've already shared your key takeaway. Uh, Caleb is, um, I, I love what he brought here today. I want to touch you, you to touch on really quick. We only have a minute or two. Um, you lay you know, your supply chain commentary publishes every Monday, Wednesday, Friday on LinkedIn. I think our team's going to share your uh, popular post from yesterday wow. where you pointed right. out some of the things going on. So really quick in like a minute or less, what were you talking about yesterday when it relates to what's going on at Target? Oh, how the mighty have fallen, right? Target just bragging about um, their superiority in supply chain and how they were going to spend 4 to $5 billion a year to continue to ex extend their excellence in supply chain. That was in March. Twice during the month or during the last three weeks, they have revised their guidance to the marketplace because they're a public company down. They revised it once. And then three weeks later, had to revise it again, finally revealing that they have an incredible, incredibly misaligned inventory versus demand, where mm. since people are starting to shift to buying more formal or whatever, casual clothes instead of just sweats and, and yoga pants, they're, they have a glut of yoga pants. They have a lot of patio furniture. Mm since people are traveling, people aren't buying and, and home goods and things like that, where they have just completely missed demand. So th the point is that was a monumental failure of management at targets, um, you know, at target, but, and, and pointed out by uh, a contributor to the article, who's an investor in target, um, who clearly has some strong concerns, but it's also a broader based problem right. in retail, right? Target is the biggest and best example but Walmart has incredibly misaligned inventories. Kohl's, there was an article last week that talked about a, a huge number of companies. Target is not even the worst offender. They're right. just the biggest name. And admittedly, their problem is more than just inventory. There's obviously some management issues there. But yeah, I, that's what I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday is take these articles. And let me tell you, people cared about this because in less than 12 hours, about 4,000 people read the article. So man. And tons and tons of comments. I don't even, I can't even keep count, 70 <laughs> comments or so, something like that. So people have an opinion and it's amazing that with the insights we're getting in the comments that big companies with access to people who are probably smarter than all of us watching this and participating in this right now could make such a huge mistake. So, mm. so check frustrating, out. Uh, but preventable and frankly constantly reoccurring in retail. So it's something that we need to change. And I talk also about how we can change that. And we got it. We got to embrace it. We got to be aware of it first, the critical first step, but y'all check out Greg White's uh, supply chain commentary on LinkedIn every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And the link to the one he's talking about here today is in the comments. Uh, Charles, I'm with you. These gas prices are giving me the full Nelson. <laughs> no kidding, man. Goodness gracious. But Hey, I'm all folks. choked up by these <laughs> gas prices. <laughs> Hopefully y'all enjoyed uh, the one and only Caleb, uh, Caleb Nelson as much as we did today. I think there's so much practical perspective and, and tips and tools yeah. that we covered over the last hour. Make sure to, if you're there at Supply Chain 360, meet him in person, check out Sifted, check out these eBooks. And Greg, always a pleasure doing these conversations with you. Likewise. But we always, whatever, whoever's with us, it's all about taking action, right? 
all about taking action. So, folks, hopefully uh, you enjoy this conversation as much as we have. Scott Luton, Greg White, and the whole team here challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.